0: Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, make your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He is faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, terrifying, testifying to what could be said in the future. Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we were his house, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. The Bible is full of some really amazing stories, stories that involve regular people like us, people really like all of us, because it's full of men and women, people that are older and younger, and these were imperfect people. These were people who had physical limitations, people who just couldn't always do things the way that they wanted to. These were imperfect people who made excuses, even when what God was asking of them was clear. People who would get distracted or scared. These were people who, like us, sinned. Yet these were people who, at the end of the day, chose to trust and follow God. And because of that, these imperfect people got to become a part of something incredible. They have opportunities to witness the truly uncanny. They have a chance to experience in their own lives what should have otherwise been impossible. And sometimes we read their stories and we wish that we could hear the voice of God from heaven speak to us like it spoke to them. We wish that we could experience a miracle the way that one of them did. It would just change things, wouldn't it, if things like that still happened today. Yet we all here right now have an advantage that they didn't have. Consider Jesus. See, as important as someone in the story of the Bible like Moses was, here was a man that God called to from a burning bush, Here was a man that God used to lead the people of Israel out of slavery to freedom in the promised land through powerful signs and wonders that he made him able to work. Here was somebody that God gave a law to, to teach his people how to be like him while providing for their needs and overcoming their enemies. And Moses doing all of this starting in his 80s, by the way, yet Moses was just God's servant. Jesus, though? Jesus is God's son. And that's better. And this idea that as great as what came before was, Jesus is better, is a major theme of the whole book of Hebrews. Whoever it was that God inspired to write this book, was someone who really knew the Hebrew Scriptures, what we today refer to as the Old Testament. And he recognized that as good as the stuff in that Old Testament is, Jesus is better. You see, Moses served God by making a tent, what they called the tabernacle, as a place for his worship, as a place for the people to experience God's presence. But God, he didn't just make a tent, he made the entire world. And he made the world through Christ, because Christ was there with him in the beginning. And after our sin had made a mess of that world and separated us from God, he sent us Christ. He sent us Jesus, which is what apostle means, one who is sent, to bring us back into God's presence. So, yeah, you and I, we've not felt the earth tremble at the sound of God's voice. We've not been led by a cloud by day or a fire by night. We haven't eaten bread that just appeared on the ground from heaven, or we haven't seen the waters part before us. But we have something better. Because God's Son came for us. Because God's Son lived a life unlike us without sin. Because Jesus gave that sinless life as a sacrifice for what we've done wrong. Because after he died, he rose from the dead. His body was transformed and walked out of that tomb. And then he is gone and he now lives and reigns in heaven. And because Jesus did that, we can come to God. By putting our faith in Jesus No matter who we are, no matter what family we come from or background we have, our sins can be forgiven when we repent of them and are baptized in Jesus' name. We can receive God's Holy Spirit to be a source of help and comfort to lead and to transform us. We don't just come into God's house through Jesus, we are God's house. Jesus lives in us. And that gives us confidence. That gives us hope. No matter what we face, we are not alone. Whatever we do, wherever we go, we can have confidence that it will matter that it can be eternally significant if, indeed, we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Which, as great as Jesus is, let's be honest, that holding fast, the Hebrews writer speaks of, is not always like happens. A couple pages over in Hebrews chapter 5, Beginning with verse 11, we read, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he's a child. Solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil, therefore let us need the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who've once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they're crucified once again, the Son of God, to their own harm and holding him up to contempt for land that is drunk to the rain that often falls on it, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it's cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned sometimes we as Christians don't grow like we should. Long after we should be teaching others, we ourselves still can't tell the difference between good and evil. Long after we should be bearing fruit for God, we're really just taking up space. Seeds are being planted. They're being watered. But all that comes out of thorns, and thistles. We cry, we complain, we whine, argue, we act like little bitty babies. We want, want, want. Instead of growing, we're still struggling with the basics. And to be clear, did you hear what God calls the basics? Because I'm always struck that it might be different from what those of you who, like me, were raised in the church, grew up with in your first principles class. Because notice that there is nary a mention here of a cappella singing or autonomous local elders as first principles. No, according to God, the basic teachings about Christ means learning to repent and have faith. And that's not just knowing what those words mean. Oh, yes, well. Repent comes from the Greek, for metanoia. It means to completely change the mind, to change the direction. Faith is from the Greek, pistis. It means to believe, or to have loyalty. Well, that's true, but to really have a good foundation, it's not just knowing that it's to change direction. It's not just knowing that it's to be loyal to God. It's also to actually do it. It's not arguing over if we have to get baptized. It's getting baptized. Jesus did it, and unlike us, he didn't sin. Yet he said that he was going to do it to fulfill all righteousness. After his death, burial, and resurrection, he made it part of his great commission that he gave his apostles to go out and do. It's a part of every response to the gospel that we see in Scripture. So should it be something that we debate? Or should it be something that we just do? Because Jesus says to something that we do out of our faith in Jesus. You see, the basics aren't analyzing the Holy Spirit. It's knowing that he's real, that he's with us, and it's learning to work with him so that we start to bear his fruit in our lives. It's to get in step with him so that we follow his lead, so that we do what he has set us apart to do in God's kingdom. And often that will require sacrifice. Sometimes what God wants us to do in his kingdom will be difficult or even dangerous. That's why another part of the basics is the resurrection and eternal judgment. Because we know this life isn't it. This is all leading somewhere. So we can give some things up. We can let some things go we can take some big risks and know that it's worth it. If we get those down as a foundation, then we can confidently move forward in our lives as Christians. Otherwise, we get stuck. And that is a bad place to be. Because from the beginning, God's intent was for us to be fruitful. And when he sent Jesus, scripture tells us it wasn't just to forgive our sins so that we're okay later. He sent Jesus to destroy the works of the devil, to completely change our lives now and forever so we can be what God made us to be. But that doesn't happen if we're staying the same.
1: If I say I have
0: decided to follow Jesus, if I've repented and been baptized, but I keep living the same as I did before, that's not what's happening. If I do all those things, yet I live the same life that I would have anyway because that's just the way I was brought up. God's been too good to us. He's given us too many opportunities for us to just receive all of these blessings from him and do nothing with him. So yeah, wouldn't it be amazing if I, like one of the apostles, could work miracles? If I could just walk around to anybody with glasses and give you a 20-20 vision, if I could just go into the hospital and help somebody that can't walk be able to rise up and walk, that would be pretty incredible. I can't do that.
1: Man, wouldn't it
0: be nice if we live in the Age of Miracles? But you know what I can do? I can use my automobile to drive you to a doctor. I can stop by the pharmacy and pick you up some medicine. We can go down to the hospital and they can use machines that can look inside the body that God fearfully and wonderfully made for you in a way that, Diseases, we can actually prevent diseases with vaccinations. God has given us all of these blessings. Will we use them? Will we be fruitful? Or will we say, oh, I wish we had this? Instead of recognizing what God has given us for good. Or think about it from our perspective as a congregation. We're going to have a Bible study, United Six. And then on Wednesday night, you can either come in person or you can join on Zoom in six Or on Thursday night, you can come to Lewis's office and there'll be a Bible study up in his break room. Or you can tune in to Facebook or the podcast app on your phone or go to the church website on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and there will be Bible teaching available to you. there. Want to talk about how we as Christians should teach others and share? A lot of those studies I just mentioned you could take a link to one of them and text it to somebody and you just share God's word. Or you could grab one of those verse cards that we have out in the foyer and pass it out to somebody to share God's word. Or you could grab one of these bookmarks that we use for these studies and be guided through how to do a Bible study with somebody where you'll read a passage a couple times and ask the same four questions and you can actually teach them something about God's truth. You can grab one of those compassion kits and be able to show love to someone in need while passing along God's Word. You can take part in one of these monthly food collections. You can donate books for us to take over to the prison. You can help pack the pulpit so that we're feeding our neighbors in need. Family, God has made it rain. Are we bearing fruit? Are we, each and every one of us, Producing out of our lives a crop that is useful to God. Where are we taking a place? Are we serving ourselves? Don't expect a blessing. If God floods your life with his goodness, but how do you use that life? is pretty worthless when compared to what he wanted it to be. If you're using that life differently than what he wants for it. Especially because what he wants for it is good. What God wants for your life is so much better than what you or I might do on our own. Jesus died so that we could be And if we know that and still aren't, what other possibilities do we have left but to burn? Is that uncomfortable? It should be. That's the point. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. That is what is at stake. And we can't afford to drift. Fortunately, we don't have to. Because reading Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Sure, I will bless you and multiply
1: And thus Abraham,
0: having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and all their disputes and oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. The Hebrews writer could write I can stand here and preach this because we're sure of better things for us. We need to be challenged. We should feel a little uncomfortable, but our end isn't to burn it. The fact that we've so many opportunities testifies to the work that is being done. We see the love that is there for God in all of those different ways that we serve him. And God is not going to overlook any of that. He sees our faith. He recognizes our effort. And he is not unjust. The fact that we're even reading this inspired letter, the fact that we're here right now to worship him, to love him and love each other and serve him and serve each other, all of that can give us Hope, But challenges like this are to ensure us that we each show the same earnestness so that we can all have that full assurance of hope. Because if we don't challenge ourselves, if we don't push, we become sluggish. We need to imitate those examples that we see here. That we have in our own lives. The brothers and sisters that we know who are always serving. The sisters who are ready to pray at the drop of a hat. The brothers who are leading Bible studies in their workplaces. The seniors that without fail are sending cards. The youth that without embarrassment are constantly inviting their friends. We need to imitate. No matter what stage of life we're at, we need to imitate them. Because you don't retire from following Jesus. And when you're younger or when you're older, how you serve may change. But you do not quit until the end. And not just what we see around us. The Bible is full of stories like that. Just look at Abraham. Back in the very first book of the Bible. Here was a guy who left everything to follow God at the age of 75. A man who at 75 completely changed his life to be loyal to God. And then he waited 25 years to see the start of God's promises being kept Him when he even had just one child, much less the great nation that God had promised to make from him. And sometimes along the way, during that long wait, Abraham struggled. Here was a man that the Bible doesn't hide from us, made mistakes. A man who at times grew impatient. A man who would try to rush things along himself. A man who sinned. Yet Abraham never stopped trusting God. He never stopped seeking God. And even when his faith was tested, when he was challenged to make seemingly impossible sacrifices, He trusted that God was good and that God would do what he said. Because one, that's who God is. He doesn't lie. He keeps his word. And two, he made an oath to Abraham. And the fact that we're even here proves it. Because through Abraham's family, God sent us Jesus. And over decades, centuries, millennia, even when God's own people messed up and were unfaithful to him, God kept his promises, and now, through our faith in Jesus, we are citizens of that great nation that God promised Abraham. To be clear, I'm not talking about murder. I mean The church, the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the fact that we even get to flee to God for refuge is proof that he keeps his promises. It's a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us because every time we read God's word, every time we worship him, Every time we gather to serve and to encourage together, we are reminded that God is with us. God is for us. Jesus the Christ proves it, and we are the church of Christ. So don't grow sluggish. Don't quit before the end. Hold fast to hope, no matter what happens. Because at the conclusion of Hebrews chapter 6, we read in 19 and 20, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place, behind the curtain. Where Jesus is gone, as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Because of who God is and what Jesus has done, how through it we are allowed into God's presence, we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows So maybe we find ourselves waiting, struggling, suffering. Maybe we're in a dry place or a difficult phase or a painful season. Let hope in Jesus anchor you. Let it anchor you as you make those tough decisions or big sacrifices as you face that heartbreak or push yourself through the brink of exhaustion because you have an anchor. You don't have to drift. You don't want to drift, to quit before the end because we are following Jesus and he is leading us somewhere and all of it is going to be worth it. You can be sure of that.